So we're stuck on Stuxnet. Woohoo! Or sucked in. It's just like one of the coolest pieces of malware. And for a lot of reasons. But me, as a conspiracy theorist, it's totally awesome. Yeah, yeah. It is definitely fodder for uh, conspiracy theorists. I just have to uh, make an adjustment here. I need to turn my headphones up a little. I'm better now. Can you talk? Say something sexy to me, Larry. I can say something sexy to you, baby. Oh, I think you need to turn it up more. Oh, no, you were just talking softly. What? <laughs> what? I thought I'd be turned on, but I'm kind of a little bit sick to my stomach. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. So this mm. malware was, um, I, as part of my Patch Tuesday post, I did a lot of research in this malware because it was more interesting than reading Microsoft bulletins, although I did manage to find some further interesting stuff about Microsoft bulletins. I called my Microsoft Patch Tuesday post uh, this week Silent But Deadly Edition. It was an, actually an honor of you guys. No, it couldn't have been, couldn't have been about the intern because he was anything definitely but not silent. silent yeah. <laughs> Deadly, so, yes, but silent, no. Stuxnet interests me because it had some super wicked cool stuff. Yeah, but it also had some really freaking lame stuff in it as well. And the pieces didn't add up, and I think that's what's fueling the fodder in debate oh, yeah. for all of this conspiracy theory. So. The first thing that we'll we'll talk about is the four zero day exploits. Uh, now, I had a pretty lengthy conversation. Unfortunately, uh, Dennis Brown, our malware correspondent—that's what I'm calling him now—our malware correspondent, Dennis Brown. <laughs> Dennis Brown, malware <laughs> correspondent, correspondent uh, reported in before. Uh, so a lot of this information uh, came from Dennis as well, and he was saying, and now he analyzes a lot a uh, lot more malware than I do, and says for this malware to contain four zero day exploits. One was the LNK vulnerability. Four. Count them four. Count them four. Uh, one was the LNK vulnerability. One was the print spool vulnerability, yep. MS10061. And there's two other zero-day privilege escalation exploits inside the malware. He said, for this to contain four is significant. He's like, I've seen some malware contain one. Uh-huh. And they let it run around and build a botnet. He's like, but for this one to contain four was was pretty unique. He had never I had never seen that before. And, so. I, and I, I find the fact that it, it contains uh, or allegedly contains two uh, privilege escalations. Yes, for Windows, for Windows, which have In, not been patched yet, but Microsoft is aware of them right. because uh, Symantec what, and Kaspersky have analyzed the malware and and, right, right, and submitted. Yeah. And yeah. so what I find that's interesting about that is that they had, they were making sure that they were able to target all ranges of uh, who may have been logged into the machine. So not necessarily assuming that an administrator was logged into the machine, that they were going to need to use privilege escalation to get the access to what they needed. Yeah, like they thought as much in advance about that. Yeah. Now, some of the questions I want to ask are, do you think that the people that made Stuxnet, do you think they wrote the zero-day exploits? Do you think they bought them? Do you think they traded for them? That's some of the things that's fueling the conspiracy theory for me. Because uh, so, we're going to talk about the SCADA aspect, right? Which right. the other thing is Stuxnet targets SCADA systems. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I honestly don't think we can answer that question or begin to answer that question until we talk about some more of the stuff. I think you're right. And, and we'll I, come back and, to and that. I'd like to come back to we'll that. We'll come back to that. Um, so the other thing that it did in earlier versions was uh, when people analyzed it, they found it it'll transfer to USB sticks. Now, my theory is... My conspiracy theory is that since they were targeting SCADA networks, 
which typically employ, and is a well-known fact, that they air gap systems, right? A lot of the control systems we'll, we'll, we'll recommend as, as mm-hmm. security professionals as well, those shouldn't be connected to the network. Yep. I think that they put that functionality in there. My conspiracy theory on that is they put it in there so that it would spread to other air-gapped networks. Yep. Now, it's tough to get data off of the air-gapped networks, but that's kind of my theory My theory right now. So and, that, that was in there as well. And, and to me, there's also some things that may maybe make that make sense mm. um in that some when you look at some of the research that has been done it to me it appears that they're waiting for some command to happen on WinCC, which is the control system that they're yes. trying to exploit and when certain command happens do this mm. so they may not necessarily have needed to get outbound internet wise right right it's true yeah, so it, I should uh, we should say that it targets Siemens. Uh, 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 pausing for that, I actually put a pause in the show notes for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it targets Siemens. It targets what again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it targets Siemens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who does it, who does it target? The, you know, the, you know, I missed you guys. <laughs> Someone says that they're watching uh, Paul.com live with their two-year-old. Who's probably yeah, asking yeah, them, what, yeah. what, Daddy, what's Siemens? <laughs> it's, a com- it's a company. And yep. we're, we're it's acting, a technology company. <laughs> and we're acting like two-year-olds, which is, I think is fitting, actually. We're no, on their no, level. Six. We're on the level six. of all the listeners. Give, give us a little credit. Six-year-olds. So it targets their PLCs. And we'll, t- we'll download and install one of what I read was the first detected PLC rootkits that installs a rootkit on the PLC. We should say PLC is a programmable logic controller. Uh, I would uh, describe it as uh, a small embedded system, right, mm-hmm. that connects to the network either serial or over Ethernet. Yeah, and there's, yep. there's different ways to, to do that in uh, the control systems world. And we'll probably have people who are closer to control systems uh, correcting us. So you can send yep. those to pswpaul.com.com. Please do. Please do. Um, so it puts a rootkit in the PLC itself. So this would be like the embedded system that controls the valve, right, yep. um, in whatever control systems environment you're working in. Yep. Uh, so I thought that was very, so for them to specifically target this industry, I thought was very was very interesting as well. I think it's one of the first times we've seen that. Now supposedly it was installed or found installed at fourteen different control systems um, companies. Okay, that's what I read. I I only heard of three. I heard four, I read fourteen. I listed a bunch of links in here, so yep. you, you know, yep. go read all the the yep. links. But I heard I read fourteen. Yep. I, I heard three. Um, one in the pl- went in a plant in Iran that's under a lot of political controversy. Um, another one that is under being worked on by the same Russian um, integrator that's yep. working on the Iranian plant, as well as one in India that apparently didn't have any apparent connection. Mm. Apparent. And the one you know, to sort of bring that up about that uh, the alleged Russian uh, integrator that's working on the Iranian plant and the other one mm-hmm. of the other plants um, that uh, that particular integrator their website has allegedly been hosting uh, links to two year old malware and is still there. Mm. So you know, they, there's some questions about you know, the possibilities for security for some of these folks. Gotcha. gotcha. Here's you know here's some of the conspiracy theory things. Now, malware correspondent Dennis Brown. This just in. This just in tells me, uh, and um, who may or may not have been analyzing a sample of the malware, um, that the infection, uh, and this is I confirmed with other articles, the infection type um, and the command and control is basic. 
So this means that the command and control channel doesn't use something like fast flux. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I did an, an interview actually with Dennis on the Tenable podcast, and we talked for like 15 minutes about fast flux itself. And that's the ability to randomize uh, the command and control channel and randomize the DNS servers. Yep. He goes into a lot more detail, but essentially it's a round robin command and control channel. Right? And a lot of malware, different malware uses this, but this one doesn't. So they went through the trouble of either writing or acquiring four zero day exploits, yep. but didn't use something like fast flux to randomize their control channel. And Symantec claims to have taken over the command and control channel because there was only one IP address or one, you know, the one DNS name that they were using yep. to control the command and control. So, I yeah, that, was, that doesn't seem. That seems like they weren't planning on taking over thousands of systems. <laughs> yeah, one a handful. It's just I'm weird. I'm not afraid of the man that wants you know, forty-five thousand bots. I'm afraid of the man that only wants one. Yeah, yeah. So um, also, Dennis says that it, it doesn't randomize the file names that it copies over to the system. So mm. things like Configure, uh, things like Configure will randomize the file names that it uses to put on the different systems to avoid detection. This one doesn't. It's static file names on the system. So further tells me that. Why did they nah. include all this advanced stuff and have a rootkit for PLCs and zero-day exploits yeah. and not include basic stuff that most other malware nah, is including? Now, when, when you're saying it's including static file names, is this a specific DLL? Yeah, like okay, a so EXE was, or DLL. Uh, so in one of the cases that I was reading that the specific DLL that it was there was it was actually replacing one of the system DLLs. So it kind of had to use the same uh, okay. or one of the, the software DLLs. So it Was that for the WinCC software? Yeah, that, for the WinCC uh, software. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So that makes sense that it would static, but still. Right. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting about the malware was that it had an exploit for a vulnerability that was from 2008 in Microsoft Windows, like an MS something in 2008. But it didn't... It it has some rudimentary... The way I read it was rudimentary checking for whether or not the target they'd compromised is a control systems type organization that uses SCADA or it's not. It's like some other corporation. Hmm. So that it would check for that. And if it was a control systems type organization the assumption was they assumed they were running older software and didn't have the appropriate detection mechanisms to block the exploit from 2008 and would launch that against the control systems vendors. But if they found it wasn't a control systems type organization, they would not launch this exploit in fear of detection is what the article said. Interesting. So there was some logic in there. Yeah. So you include this logic, which is pretty cool mm-hmm. from a malware perspective, but you don't do things like randomize the file name or use FastFlux. Right. And and to me, that seems <clears throat> as if it is a highly, highly targeted attack. Mm. You want one or two very specific control systems. Right. Given that, you know, great, we know, we're not worried about, you know, thousands of people getting worried about a lot it's of true. detection getting it's taken true. over. And it, again, like these things tend to do, got significantly out of hand. Right, right. So, as somebody who writes code for post-exploitation, I do agree with you, Larry, completely. Because one of the things, that, several of the reasons that you randomize uh, the files that you're writing to disk, other than encoding them, is one is detection, so there won't be no fixed uh, signature to detect that file name, and the other one is multiple exploitation. Let's say if you're writing a worm or you're writing something or, or you're running several exploits, that uh, that several of them might get you that session on the target. You don't want your files overriding one another in the target system. So when they're saying that they were not doing that, 
They were not doing their round robin because one of the things you're going to detect very easily is that one machine all of a sudden is doing 10, 15 connections to 10 different hosts all the time in sequential or random uh, or to those hosts con- constantly. Uh, they were trying to go as low up under the radar and as target as possible is the way I'm interpreting the data that you guys are, are talking about. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions I have to ask, I mean, the conspiracy part of it is really, really interesting, but really, is there any value to it? I mean, what, basically what I'm getting at is what's the, the so what value uh, of this? I mean, so an organization was targeted, and they may have been targeted by a nation state. Should this be big news? Kind of going back to Marcus Random's whole presentation about cyber warfare. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, what I use this for for my customers is I use this as a catalyst. I mean, saying that, yes, there are very well-funded people that will be targeting your SCADA systems uh, works from a motivational perspective. But other than that, does it change anything for the status quo of most of our listeners? No. No, it's just conspiracy theory, and it's, it's fun. It's fun, yeah. It's fun. Because did they get the zero day exploits from a nation state, from a foreign or domestic government? <clears throat> right, and and that was and that's what I was sort of getting at about where can we really answer whether this was where did they get it from? Right. And one might argue that a nation state hired a significant amount of um, really smart individuals to come up with this, and whether it was the nation state that provided or hey, why what. would they? So yeah, it's. It's kind of like us arming Iran. Are there, you know, well, no, so way back that, in the day, right? That, so that's so. That, do you hire smart people to find zero days, and then give the zero days to people who don't know how to propagate the malware appropriately? Right. right? Well, I, again, but but or you thinking, just throw think, it out there so that but if people you, if, talk about it, and I don't know, but about, you wouldn't want. To what about the not know. propagating it? Um, Properly, maybe it was done properly from giving it sort of the business justification that maybe they we're, wanted to get we're only wanting yeah. to do one specific uh, control system, and by you know not having fast flux and making multiple connections outbound, yeah, yeah. we're reducing our chances of getting caught. So maybe that was a conscious decision. Maybe they wanted to get caught. Maybe it was funded by a control system security integrator. They wants more business, Larry. How's that for a conspiracy so theory? Wow. Huh? In my wow. way, wow. I'm taking it too far. You, you came came off of that right off the cuff. That's, that's pretty good. Like, man. That's like antivirus companies that write viruses. This is like the same thing, right? It's like the movie Backdraft. It was a fire fireman that started it because he wanted that's to right. fight more fires. Yes. Wait, whoa, whoa. Hey, is that a shark? Is <laughs> it jumping? I've talked with several people that have their own private exploit collections. Uh, several researchers that, in fact, right now I've been chatting with one over IRC and, and this dude has like 10, 15 exploit for Oracle that are unpublished, unknown, and he has his own little exploit pack. And he, he even admitted to me, yeah, dude, uh, I have this. I know other people. I have friends that have their own little exploit packs in their private collections. Uh, but when you look at a government agency or somebody who is trying to get a lot of money, they're going to have their own exploit. They're going to have their own research people. They're going to find these tour days. They're going to save them. And the main reason they're going to use them is nobody knows nothing about them. Right. So you're going to go under the radar. Nobody's looking for that exploit. So you can use that exploit pretty efficiently, right. and you're going to have a success rate, which is going to be very high. Because if you took the time to find that exploit, then you also took the time to do all of your reconnaissance, all of your enumeration, and you know what a specific version or range of versions of software that target is going to have. So your success rate is going to be pretty high. 
Mm-hmm. That's why I think looking at the other factors of the malware and how they didn't do their due diligence and really reach the bar of other malware is that's why I think they acquired the exploits or bought them somehow. Yeah, yeah or had so, uh, or someone paid some folks to to do that. Right. Uh, right. And and you know it's 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 pretty clear that it attacked one specific Siemens control system. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, which the some of the theories are that. Uh, um, it was some sort of political action again, and you talk about arming Iran. That it was alleged that the theories are that it was an attack against um, a specific nuclear power plant in uh, Iran. Yep, yep. That had po- pictures posted uh, some time ago of actual WinCC with an error message mm. uh, controlling the plant that has been under a lot of political pressure mm-hmm. all over the place. I don't know what that was. I think we're under attack here in the studio. I think so. Yeah, so w- one of the arguments I have heard is, oh, but for somebody to get access to that equipment, to do the research, to be able to attack that, they had to have a lot of money. They had to be very well funded. They had to be a government entity. Uh, but when we talked to McGrew, uh, one of the things she was telling us was, I just called the different SCADA systems and the different people. And I told them uh, I, I wanted a demo version because I wanted to test them. And the sales guy just jumped over backwards and gave him all of the CDs, all of the temporary licenses that he wanted. They sent him equipment. They sent him everything. So well, that argument, comparing it to what I gather from researchers that work in SCADA systems, is that it is very easy to get that software. It's very easy to get that hardware. The only thing you get to do many times is just ask. Yeah, yeah. Well, I also think one of the other interesting things, um, kind of the last thing on, on Stuxnet here, is that it was pretty clear, I think, that this malware was meant for sabotage or there's, you know, at least good uh, evidence for speculation that its target and its purpose was for sabotage and not for making money. Most malware, as, as Dennis was telling me, you know, their primary goal is to make money, is to make a profit, to build a botnet, to spam people and, and make money. And this was unique in that its purpose seemed to be to infect the PLCs at control systems um, whose purpose very well could have been sabotage. No? Cool conspiracy theory stuff. You like that, huh? Yeah, from the sounds of it, yeah. They wanted something specific, and they got it. That's cool. So, with that, we will take a short break and come back with the stories for this week. You'll be in extreme danger every minute. And loving it. Would you believe missed it by that much? I want you to make a check on all the women here and see if any of them look or even act suspicious. So, did you know that it is the 15th anniversary of the movie Hackers? Huh? Oh, did man. Know that? Where's Acid yes. Burn when we need him? That's right. That's right. Dude, I am so hacking Gibson tonight. <laughs> I have the uh, the soundtrack to the movie Hackers that we, uh, that we acquired. 
I don't know. We'll play a little bit of it here in honor of Angelina Jolie uh, of the movie Hackers. I mean, You're, we were talking about Angelina Jolie early before the show. Something yes. about a two hundred and fifty dollars oh, cigar. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so uh, anyway, well, that was bomb. Yeah. So we'll play the soundtrack, the whole thing in its entirety after the show. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> in any case, Can and we- then we'll hack a Gibson. Yeah. Steve Gibson? What? No, not oh. Steve. The other Gibson. <laughs> um, the Deb- super Debbie Gibson? Debbie Gibson. No. Debbie Gibson. Well, I'll play some of her music after the show, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just for Darren. And you probably <laughs> have it. That. That's right. It's right in my same playlist as Justin Bieber. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. So, what do we want to talk about? Larry. Oh, let's talk about Evil Wi-Fi with Capture Portal. Yeah. This is a pretty cool hack uh, from the blog is some blog. Uh, HR Report. HR Report. Yes, very good blog. And uh, it details. uh, by Axon, if I remember correctly? I think so. Yeah, I believe so. The... so the yep. basic setup is OS 10 laptop, uh, Laufener Wi-Fi. You set up your own captive portal. You give people access to the internet, but really in the background you're running Metasploit and um, Hamster and Ferret. Mm. HIR Information Report, and this yes. one was published by Axon. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was very good. I think that it's still a valid attack vector. I think you, <laughs> you know can it. still uh, get people with this one. Heck yeah. And um, we should set it up. I think... Creating a captive portal like that and giving it access to the internet is um, is going to be more successful than just landing them at a page and yes, you know, like the default Metasploit making it loading. I think right, going right. that extra step and giving them access to the internet is really going to get you more stuff. Right, because you know what happens is they connect to it and then they Thank they you. fire up a browser and they start to to try to surf and nothing happens. Mm. I try to surf, but nothing happens. So what do they do? They move on to the next available wireless network. Or oh, they're running Windows, they reboot mm. or something. Yeah, so right, it's cool. so, so it then details then all the gone. steps, which yeah. is nice. Yep. So we like that. That was good. Yes. Uh, let's see. Almost as much as we like an exploit store, where you can buy, sell, and trade exploits. Wait a minute. What's this? An exploit store? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like iTunes for exploits. Yeah. I thought it was kind of cool. <laughs> I, I think that's an app store. Yeah. They, I mean, so exploit stores are cool <clears throat> and all. Um, I, they're trying to spin it as, well, this is better for enterprise security. <coughs> and I'm kind of like, I really think that the open source Metasploit model is the best for enterprise security mm. because it puts everyone on a level playing field, right? Attackers, defenders, vendors, and not just the vendor that makes the software, but the vendors that make security products yep. all have access to the information. You have access to the actual exploit. And it puts everyone in a level playing field. Now, you may look at it as, well, you're arming the attackers. But you're arming everyone else, you're too. You're also arming the defenders and the... And it puts positive yeah. pressure on the software vendor. Well, not maybe positive pressure, but it puts pressure, pressure. on the software yeah. vendor to actually fix the problem. So I think that the BSD open Metasploit license model is the best one as far as making these exploits available to people. And the store model is kind of flawed because you have to pay for the exploit. So that puts a barrier... For everyone to get their hands on the exploits. So, my my problem with the store is that they've already been in talks with several researchers, and what several of them have told me is, oh, we're holding out to see how this plays out before we uh, publish our exploits. 
and some of them even already have written exploit modules for medicine and they're going, oh, we're just going to hold out, see if I can get several thousand dollars for all my work instead of just putting out in Metasploit for free. Hmm. Now, I won't dispute the fact that you want to get paid for your exploit. Show I mean, me the money. There's merit to that. If I spend some time finding the exploit, you know, right now, if it's you want a long night, <laughs> yeah, and you want so say you want to be the good citizen and you want to go disclose that responsibly, that can take some time. I, I think that's why exploit has merit because they'll work on the disclosure piece for you um, without you having to spending more time uh, disclosing the vulnerability. But the point is, you're not really getting paid for that, so. I, I see the researchers' point where they want to get paid, but I think for the good of the community, having everything open ultimately, uh, I think will make things better. That's not to say that there shouldn't be some kind of transaction for you for your hard work. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe maybe people donate to a project like Metasploit and they pay for some exploits and keep them open and yep. release it. And, you know, in fact, didn't they say the guys from NSS that when they start selling the exploits? But the exploits that they were going to sell were actually Metasploit exploits. I think so. Exploits written in Metasploit-type modules that you can just drop in into your modules directory in Metasploit Mm. and use them. So, yeah, how are they going to license that? Because I can see that now all we need to do is come up with a collection to buy one and then distribute the module. Right, right. And And once it's on the Internet. It's on the Internet. Uh, yeah, there's, I don't, there's, see, there's I don't no think, way uh, you can, uh, you know, uh, encode it, DRM it, uh, mm. you know, watermark it. There's no way. Yeah. Well, I, I think that, it, you know, the consumer shouldn't have to pay for it, I guess. My, it, no one should have to pay for it, you know. Information wants to be to free. To use it. It, wa- it wants to be free. And I, I think that that's the best model, like I said, as far as overall security. And I... I I do think that the researcher should get compromised and uh, not compromised. <laughs> <laughs> compensated, compromised. Well, yeah, compensated. that's a little different. Yeah, yeah. Um, compensated for being compromised, but no, wait, no. So, no. Um, you know what I mean? <clears throat> Information yeah. wants to be free, Larry. It does, like you said. I want to believe. I want to believe. <laughs> nice uh, X Files reference. Yes. So, um, I think that's all I had to say. Yeah. On that one. Oh, the other thing in the article, it was kind of interesting, um, is that, uh, you know, like we talked about penetration testing, and it's not always an exploit that makes you successful on a pen test. So, you know, does having all these exploits and you being able to buy them make you that much better of a pen tester? I have money. I'm lead. Yeah. No. I, I think, you know, most attackers are going to get the password to socially engineer someone. So, um, you know, let's be careful about claiming that buying and selling and trading exploits makes the world a better Hacking place. without exploits. Yes. Uh-huh. What we were doing, some of the things we were talking about before the show was open SMB shares yeah. as, being, as being good. And I'm finding, now that I'm looking for it, after we talked about that uh, thing with the uh, uh, printer, scanner, copier, uh, yep. multifunction devices, is that a lot of these now internally on networks, I'm finding, are completely open. Mm-hmm. So once you get in the inside of the network, you can just connect to these multifunction devices. And now they all, a lot of them have this functionality where you can just save whatever is on the device to an image file to your hard drive. Nice. Internally, I found that internally 
on a pen test this week. Mm, nice. And you know, so fortunately, my, nothing was yeah. nothing was on. Unfortunately, there was nothing on it. Yeah. Well, fortunately for them, unfortunately for yeah, yeah, my pen test fail. Pen tester, yeah. <clears throat> uh, and the other one, you know, <clears throat> you will argue about open SMB shares. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely great. But think about the other um, really nice anonymous way you can share stuff on an internal network that I see all the time. How about FTP, anonymous yeah. FTP, and you know whether FTP writable directories. Um, you get find ridiculous amount of stuff with things like that. I mean, Larry and I were talking before the show, like the three minute pen test. Yeah. <laughs> so once you get access to the internal network, <clears throat> in three minutes or less, can you find the sensitive information? We're talking about ways in which we mm-hmm. do that, and those are certainly. Mm-hmm. And it's not. Again, it's hacking without exploits, right? It's running NMPT scan, looking at all the Windows hosts that respond to that request, and saying, well, that one looks like a name that I want to attack. I think we've talked about this on the show before. And let me go see if it's going to open shares. Oh, the shares are open. Oh, look, there's a directory that says credit files, card software repository, whatever the case may yep. be. So, and I, I mean, for me, it's been uh, MDNS. Uh, you can query it either to the Avahi client in Linux, your superman line tool in OSN. You just run it and you see all the setting of the shared FSH boxes, FTP, SMB shares. Yeah. In fact, any Windows box that anybody has installed iTunes or QuickTime on, that Apple, thankfully for us, installed the MDNS daemon there. We're going to see all of that in the network in just a matter of seconds. Yeah. Yeah, yep. no, that's a good point, Carlos. Uh, GNU Citizen had some scripts for querying uh, MDNS, and that's a great way of, uh, it's almost like a catalog for everyone's shares, which is great. Yep, in fact, I found the, the command line tools uh, from uh, OS X and Linux to be more effective than the, the script, uh, since those would actually, the, the way MDNS right now is written is when you send one single packet, all the clients will just answer with all of their services. And the GNU Citizen implementation in Python, what it does is just check record by record by record by record, and then checks each answer for that specific record. Mm-hmm. But that's the limitation of the library they're using. Gotcha. Interesting. Okay. Um, so H.G. Moore made a, a pretty cool Twitter post where he um, linked to someone's article about how they built um, – they put an exploit on a USB thumb drive and left it in the bathroom and, yeah. and got someone with it. Um, I thought that was really cool. So they basically built a, a PDF exploit for a specific Adobe vulnerability, yep. um, banking on the fact that they had a vulnerable version of Adobe, which I've had – you know, you get mis- mixed success with. Some people actually do patch their Adobe. Where? Uh, yeah, okay. <coughs> I guess there's enough Adobe. Be zero day floating around <laughs> out there, mm-hmm. uh, but some people maybe they don't run Adobe, maybe it's not on the system. So, but this one did work. Uh, it was for a specific Adobe vulnerability. Um, they put a PDF file on there called hr.pdf. Banking on the user's going to grab the thumb drive from the bathroom, plug it into the system, mm. open the PDF, and bam, they're exploited. Um, I think a more reliable way um, that we talked, you know, we talked about the U three U three switchblade, the USB switchblade. Um, you know, obviously that attack has, has been significantly limited. Mm, um, yeah. But Iron Geek and uh, Dave Kennedy yep. um, were both playing around with the Teensy device, which we talked about on the show. Yep. And Iron Geek posted the videos uh, to his site, so yep. they're available now. Well, yeah, so they've got now Teensy support in set, right? Uh, yes. 
I want to say yes. I think that was what one of the one of the latest releases. I have to yeah. I have to go play with set seven oh seven yet so far. So I think as far as these physical USB attacks go, this is the most bang for your buck. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I don't I don't see this being easily defended against, right? Because it's a hit, it's a keyboard. We talked about it yep. on the show before. Yep, it's keyboard, um, mouse, whichever. So this needs to be in your arsenal. It, it, you you have to have one of these. I, I think it's the it's going to give you almost a hundred percent success rate. You know. Yep. Uh, so I want to build some. So it sounds like fun. Do we get to solder stuff, Larry? No, you don't need to solder for the teensy. <clears throat> oh, but I want to. Yeah, I gave you stuff that you need to solder. You never done it yet. I know. I know. So there you Dad. go. Well, yeah, where's my fail sound? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I opened myself up for that one. Uh-huh. That's what she said. Okay. Next story. Next story. How about <laughs> speaking of open yourself up for one? How about story number nine? Oh, I knew you were going to pick the Shack Attack. <laughs> Shaq it's the Shack Attack story, Larry. Shack, Shack is hack. <laughs> Shack is, Shaq is Shaq whack. Shack is the new hack. Shack is whack. Uh, Shack was hack. You have to read this article. Did you pull up this article? Uh, I didn't. I didn't. Everyone, I, I, I everyone go to the show notes and pull up the article. Um, it's hilarious. <sighs> so Shaq O'Neill accused of computer hacking, throwing evidence in lakes, says Newslaw. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he had evidence on his iMac computer. That showed that he had a mistress and he was trying to cover up the fact that he had not one but two mistresses while he was with his now Uh ex-wife and um, threw his iMac in the lake behind his house and then paid. All All by himself? I guess I, so. I'm assuming so, but I don't know but how his he would do IT, that. He can't his shoot. IT consultant, though, um, he then paid his IT consultant person, who I guess is part of this lawsuit now, uh, cash to go buy him a new iMac. So that's the IMAX story. The other thing is he hacked here's the article. Jack hacked into the voicemails and phone systems of Darling and Vanessa Lopez, a mistress who is currently suing O'Neill. Uh, he deleted Lopez's uh, messages and changed her password. That's pretty leet, huh? Hmm. Yeah, some leet stuff going there. Uh, he then used law enforcement contacts to get information about his other mistresses. But the greatest thing about the article is there's actually pictures of all his mistresses in the article. Oh. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah. Not huh? bad. Not, Not bad. bad. Not Which, bad. who are you looking at? Dominica Westling? Uh, yeah, Dominica uh, Westling. And there's another one of uh, Vanessa Lopez. Yes. Those are his two uh, mistresses. Mm. Um, so, yeah, Shaq is a hacker. And he threw his computer in the lake. Now, I think he needs to view our YouTube videos, youtube.com forward slash paul.com, and you can see effective methods of data destruction yes. on our YouTube channel. Yes. Shaq we- needs to go look at those videos to learn effective methods of data destruction, Larry. Yes. You, I quote, that's a quote from you from one of our videos. You are actually taking a pitchfork to the hard drive. Yes. In one of those videos. Yes. And I think in another one, we've actually taken some thermite. We've burned them with thermite. <laughs> we've shot them with um, potato cannon. Yep. See, everyone thought that this research we were doing was useless. This is actually practical knowledge, yes. Darren. It's yes. practical knowledge. Shaq should have used thermite, not throw it in a lake, because now right. they'll just dredge it up and just pull the platters and find out everything anyway. Exactly. And we did Geek Pinata, where we hit them with the, you know, the pinata. Yep. Those are up there, too. So. Yep. I, I saw the picture. I still want to set up the next one on a firing range. Yeah, that's yes, just going to That say. needs to be the next one. I'm, I'm picking up my SKS this weekend. That would be some damage. <laughs> uh, uh, effective methods of data destruction. <laughs> Got a Russian one or a uh, ch- one? Uh, Nor- Norinko uh, uh, SKS. Chinese. Chinese SKS, yep. Larry, you had one in here about uh, war dialing. 
Yeah. It never a, seems to die. That was like no, the, no, one I, of the, I mean, hacking started out on the phone system, right? Right. So it's sort of in the, you know, in honor of the 15 year of hackers, you know, we're talking about some war dialing, right? <laughs> They did use a lot of modem stuff in they that did, movie. And yeah. They did. The I watched it like last week or something. And they had the payphones taped together backwards. So you, they, you remember that? No. What did they do with that? That was towards the end of the movie so they couldn't get traced. They had uh, two payphones next to each other duct taped together backwards so uh, that the input was to the output and the output was to the input. I gotcha. So when they traced the call, they traced it to this payphone that was duct taped to another payphone. Which I is gotcha. Which is an outbound call. Yeah, kind of lame. <laughs> Not very high fidelity, let's put it that way. The lines in the movie are just, I mean, if you haven't watched the I movie Hackers in a while, how long. go back and watch it and it's just, it's very entertaining. Mm. It's very entertaining. It's pretty funny. Yes. Yes. Zero yes. cool. So, zero cool. Acid burn. And what was his other, he had another handle, <clears throat> his new handle. He couldn't use zero cool because... That was his previous one that he yeah, got in zero, trouble for. Zero Cool was on the dole. He came up with a new on one. On the lamb, rather. What was it? Someone in the IRC is probably typing it. Uh, in any, no? ca- in okay. any case. Maybe so uh, Everyone's bored with this conversation m- about hackers. Mapping via the PSTN, so the public switch. Crash override. Thank Crash you. Override. Thank you. Yes. Uh, Insumer, that's uh, Ben Jackson. Yes. Right? yes. Thank you, Ben. So, war dialing isn't dead. It's just evolved. This was a... Uh, that's uh, really sad that you know that, Ben. <laughs> Well, it's really sad that you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Considering you watched it a week ago. <laughs> Touche. That's sad. That's sad. Uh, so war dialing's not necessarily dead. It's just evolved. And this was a, uh, a video from uh, The Beeve, uh, the author of I War, um, from Wait, the, the Beeb, New Hope. The Beeb? Like Bieber? De- oh, I knew that was coming. The Beeb. Mute, mute, mute. Uh, <laughs> now, so he, he talks about, uh, you know, how we can use uh, war drive or uh, war dialing to um, do some reverse mapping and, you know, tinkering with caller ID from Europe, by the way, uh, that he mentioned so you don't get arrested, um, as well as using uh, CNAM, so sort of the forward lookup. So you call Walmart and it shows on your phone that you're calling Walmart uh, type of thing by using that to start dialing numbers and building a database of all the folks in certain locations. So one of his friends, Bob, apparently um, were dialed uh, and acquired CNAME records for all the phone numbers in Malibu, California. It took forever because he actually did the dialing and mm. did the lookups, um, but it was free. But you can do C name lookups for about ten bucks for a thousand. And this was some of the stuff that uh, that uh, Nick and, and cohorts talked yes, about. Yes, yes. So yeah, absolutely possible. So yeah, it's just not going away. It's just evolving. Did you hear there's a Samba buffer overflow? No. Uh, yeah, there was remote exploit <sighs> buffer overflow in SMB. Get out. No way. Uh, window, Windows or Samba? Samba. Okay. Samba. It was actually in the Samba code. Right. Right. So yeah, and and it no. seems to be really easy to make vulnerable software that implements that protocol. Because right, Microsoft Samba yep. both right. had a long history of right, and 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 I don't know if it's still the case, and I'm assuming that it is that Samba, at least in its initial days, was a reverse engineer of a protocol that's the, the specifications aren't available. So oh, likely, yeah, because it's a proprietary it's proprietary thing. protocol. Yeah. Microsoft doesn't release anything about it, so they've yeah. had to reverse engineer all of the stuff about Samba. Yes. So, yes. how do you handle all of these unexpected type of things? Well, you have to do right. something because you don't have the specification. Right, right. Mm. 
But Microsoft invented the protocol and or they, still have they stole it or bought it from someone else, <laughs> likely. Yeah. Uh, a foreign national. I mean, what? No, it, was it they portions of it might have come from Novell, maybe? I'm not sure. Mm. I don't I just go digging way. In fact, I just had the book. In fact, I think I just gave it away uh, to like Goodwill or something, the NT Network Plumbing book. That was a great God. book. But it, I mean, it's old, like Microsoft SMB stuff. But hmm. yeah, there was some like something in that book. I think I remember about like where the protocol came from. In any case, in any case. So speaking of uh, buffer overflows and so forth, how about uh, um, a little bit of too much backwards compatibility? Number story number five. Yeah. The uh, so the. Um, uh, privilege escalation exploit. Oh, I in saw the, something. The yeah. Linux kernel. I saw something that um, the kernel bug floating which is uh, allegedly something from 2007 that has reared its ugly head again. That was patched and has now made its way back. Um, in a well, portion, I saw something in the exploit DB exploit. Yeah. Comments in the exploit <clears throat> said that Red Hat backported a fix for that bug in 2007 and they're not vulnerable or something like that. Oh, it's one of the bugs that it was in the comments <laughs> in the exploit TV. Yep. And uh, it's in the portion of the code that converts uh, 64 uh, 64 bit code to 32 bit output for backwards compatible. So if you're running a 64 bit kernel, mm-hmm. um, whichever you're building on a nice new modern machine, hopefully you are so that you can still run 32 bit code. Just oh, no see, one would ever the do software that. Software isn't sixty-four bit, right? So right. it's it's back backwards Hardware's compatible. Cheap now. You just built a new system yeah. for cheap, right? Yeah. Well, uh, not well. well for, for what it for is. For what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Sixteen core ESX box with thirty-two gigs of RAM, two terabytes of hard drive space. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I got. To does put it have it a pull start on it? Is it? Yes, it does. Sits in the desk and vibrates. You should totally put a pull start on it. Yeah. You should totally rig the power switch. So you have to pull it like a lawnmower. <laughs> nice. nice. Puts off a heat like a lawnmower. Yeah, sure I bet. Does. I bet. Sure does. What, what's the power supply? 1,200 watt? Uh, 1,200 watt. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, supply. yeah. You showed me the inside of it. It was very sexy. Yeah. It's yeah. very sexy. 2,500 bucks. That's this too bad. can be yours. That's not yep. bad. Yeah. Like I told Larry, I'll buy it at the end of the year when the same parts come down in price a little bit, maybe. Yeah. And then you yeah, build it for 1,000. It's unbelievable what kind of hardware you can have. It's crazy. It's nuts. It's crazy. And then, you know, not just to build different hardware, but put up a bunch of VMs. I mean... Oh, yeah. It's it's up there running uh, six VMs right now, like, you know... Yeah, not even breathing. Like heavy. Darren yeah. Farts. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> wow, that's really... That's a lot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, one is my own proxy box that I put on. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, he built it himself. It's in... And you know what it's called? Intern. Intern botnet. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And you gave the intern control of it. I did. Nice. 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 So, um, what else are you building, Larry, while we're on that subject? Marshmallow guns. Marshmallow guns, uh, 555 timer circuits. Yeah. Oh. Oh. How about story number 11? Yeah. Adobe Zero. Another Adobe Zero. I was going to say, you did another uh, SMB vulnerability. We had to have an Adobe one. That's right. That's right. Yeah. One comes out every week. Yep. So and and this actually has some ties or some alleged ties to Stuxnet. Really? Yeah. So um, let's not get stuck on Stuxnet now. No. On September eighth, Adobe put out an advisory for previously unknown zero day. Go figure in uh, Reader Acrobat software, which was uh, actively being exploited. It bypasses ASLR in depth. Um, but 
which is interesting, the malicious content drops an executable into the temp directory and tries to execute it. Mm-hmm. The executable is actually digitally signed with a valid cert from a U.S.-based credit union. That's awesome. So somehow someone got the private key to that cert from the credit union. It or it's an MD5 hash collision. I don't know. <laughs> Keep dreaming. Um, <laughs> Conspiracy theories. And, and uh, ironically enough, the the cert is was only probably valid easier to Ox- pop the credit union than to find an empty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so allegedly, no offense to whatever credit union that was. Yeah, so allegedly, the uh, cert was only uh, valid until October twenty sixth, two thousand ten. It's since been revoked. But right, right. Yeah. Uh, no, it was. It could not have been a hash closing because it was SHA one. Gotcha. Well, conceivably. Well, maybe. From what we know. Maybe. Never say never, Larry. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. Right. So the other one that was the reason... Did you ever think you'd have a 16-core machine sitting on your desk? With 32 gigs of RAM? No, 10 years never. ago. Yeah. Never. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Last week, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so in any case, so um, what, how this sort of ties to Stuxnet. Uh, allegedly, Stuxnet, Stuxnet executables were um, oh, signed yeah, they did with use compromised uh, yes. Realtek and real tech Micron one. certificates. Yeah, the Realtek one. Yeah. So uh, is this a, something we're going to see as a trend, is that people stealing private keys to certificates to sign their malware? Why not? Yes. Right? I Why mean, not? As opposed to going and getting their own, get it from somewhere else. Right. Well, yeah, then you got to get a reputable company name or semi-reputable company name and mm-hmm. You've won the trust war. Mm. Yep. I mean, real tech I can see, but who the heck is J Micron? And more importantly, why am I installing stuff from Vantage Credit Union on my machine? Well, if they craft it to be like, hey, we get this wonderful loan offer for you. Mm. PDF, and then it tries to execute this wonderful to, to, to run a loan calculator to see what you qualify for. Yeah, but on my command and control system would be weird. Realtek, maybe I can see that it's hardware update type mm-hmm. thing, but yeah. I mean, definitely Realtek's the best one, but at least you got some sort of a certificate saying, yep. hey, this is signed. Yeah, but if you look at your C, uh, the your certificate list for the CAs in your machine, you'll find the post office of Tokyo. Oh, is that uh, one still there? The Hong Kong post office? Yeah. Yeah, the Hong Kong post office. You will see a lot of places that you're going like... <laughs> What is, this, what, what is this doing here? So, in fact, one of the things you can do is you can generate your own CA cert. You can use the certutil.exe that, that is in most versions of Windows from XPSP2 and over. You can install your own CA cert in that box. Then you can just sign all of your code. And for that box that you compromise, the code will be valid. And you can put whatever name you want for that CA uh, cert because you created it. Right, so you compromise the box and you've got shell access, you create your own cert, and then all of the code that you run on that box will be signed by your cert on that box. That will work perfectly for those environments where the client decided, I'm going to be a smart ass and I'm going to require signing for all of my PowerShell stuff and I'm going to require signing for all my BBS stuff. That works perfectly. Oh, fantastic. Um, what was I going to say? John, are you still on the line? No, he had a drop Oh, I wanted to talk about his gift card hacking. Yeah. Basically, the numbers on the gift cards are, he figured almost out sequential. are almost sequential. So essentially, you can go buy a gift card and then make new ones. 
So yeah, so you go, like, you go buy. John is interested in some hardware that we have that we have to send him. Yes, by the way, I'm yes. going to tell you that before the show. Yes. Um, so then you could just buy a mo- buy one, and then around Christmas, buy one, buy get one unlimited amounts free, get unlimited amounts of free, and then about the November time frame, start using them. Yeah, John actually has, tells a story of him going buying a bunch of gift cards and yep, with numbers close to each other, and he unwraps them, and the credit card numbers are very close. Yes. I know what we're getting for Christmas. <laughs> gift cards. <laughs> <laughs> Used gift cards with no value. <laughs> I was hoping he could talk about it while I, I catch up on some reading uh, that I just got from uh, attrition uh, on Twitter. Uh, it's called Diary of an Angry Stripper dot com. Uh, and the, this particular post I'm reading is uh, Sandpaper Pants and Trouser Troubles. Yes. Apparently, starchy jeans, like- starchy jeans are a problem with the lap dances, Larry. Hmm. I don't think that sounds security related. No, I'm just. But it's stripper. It's stripper, stripper related, related, so we'll go with related. it. I, mm. I think exotic liability pulled that into the IT security mix. That's what I'm going with. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. So, do we have anything else security related uh, to talk about in the show notes? I think once you've gone to strippers, that was it. That was it. Yep, like, yep that ended that. So it. now we need to. Already, yep. we're gonna take a short break and come back and wrap up the show with budget mentioned strippers. Passwords are just so easy to abuse. Yes, yes, they are. About I, abusing I talked them. to some of my friends, and last Saturday night I was over at my friend's house, and I was actually working on two laptops simultaneously simultaneously while drinking. Which I was going to uh, say, they had to bend some intoxication yes. on a Saturday night. Hey, guys, look what I can do. <laughs> I don't care. Not my laptop. Power <laughs> user. One was a Mac, and one was a PC. But the one thing that they had in common... Was that the password on each of them? Password. Was password. Oh, yes. Sweet. Oh, yeah. Which made it easy for me to remember which password went to which laptop. However, even though I was intoxicated, I did my best <laughs> to give my friends the spiel about good passwords. So. I love you, man. I don't want to see you get hacked, all right? <laughs> you can just imagine how entertaining that must have been. Take a good pa- password. <laughs> but you should. You should take the time to educate. Yes, that's true. Even if you you're intoxicated. Be a... Friends don't let friends get owned. Listen to Paul.com Security Weekly every week at www.paul.com.com. We're back. 
Communicate. Communicate. That song was really lame. I picked a really lame one. Yeah, you did. And the intern forgot to turn my mic on. <laughs> He's I muted. didn't forget. Uh, oh. No, you forgot to turn my mic on. No. Okay, yes. Okay. Well, thank you for listening to this edition episode of Paul.com. I will be in Belgium next week. I leave Monday. Woohoo! Sucker. Yeah, we take it over, Larry. That's yeah. right. We're bringing down this house. <laughs> no, we're still here in the barn, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dennis, Jess, and Dan King. Yes, Dan King will be joining us. Mm-hmm. As joining well us. as a fabulous guest. Oh, and Ben Jackson. And Ben Jackson will be here if all goes well. <laughs> and, and a fabulous guest. And a fabulous guest. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, we, o- we only kid because he's listening. Uh, yes. <laughs> we only kid because we love you. <laughs> uh, and he was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's oh, like, wait. yeah, all right. Yeah, oh, yeah, wait. Yeah. Screw, oh, you <laughs> <laughs> Screw you guys. Bastards. Screw you guys. I'm going home. Uh, so I'll have to leave you with some cigars or something. Ben's a cigar smoker. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just take that whole box. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Yoink. Oh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that and uh, Mr. Neighbor, n- Mr. Neighborly Mr. Neighbor, himself. Mr. Neighbor, yes, Mr. Rogers Neighborhood, yes. Pedal Bear Neighborhood. What? Oh wow. Who will be with us? Uh, Mr. Travis Goodspeed. Goodspeed. Oh, Travis Goodspeed. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good because you'll you'll have a lot of things to talk about, with Travis. Oh, yeah. And I like He's that. He's a hardware hacking <laughs> ninja. Uh, yes. Very cool. Yes. Alrighty, Larry. Alrighty, well, take us out. Oh, we forgot the core impact discount code. Impact BSG for Mike. Yeah. Did you B. watch any more Battlestar Galactica, Larry? I have not. Fail. I know. That's your homework. Guess Larry. what? I'm mooting your mic now for the rest of the show. You're mooting it. Mooting it. Mooting it. You're mooting it, it and need, making I, it moot. I think you need another mirror. It's a moot. <laughs> I need another mirror. No, it's no, a moot muted mirror. microphone. Yes. And with that. Carlos, John, if you're there. See you later, guys. Over and out.